you're making your way back to your seat, I had someone this morning come up to me, and I guess they saw I had a microphone on or whatnot, and they said, are, are you preaching this morning? And I smiled from ear to ear, and they said, you are? And I said, no, I'm not. And it, 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 it surprised this individual. The reason for the smile is not because I don't like preaching. The reason for my smile does not mean anything about how much I love the Psalter. The reason is I'm tired. <laughs> and the smile tells you something about who's coming up. His name is Marco. Last name? Raken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he is coming from a... A church up north, uh, Grace Church in Greenville, and um, he absolutely loves the Psalms, so he's going to be coming up and preaching Psalm 135, so if you have your Bibles, you can thumb into that section. The Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, and then you just count to 135, and you'll get there. What I'm going to do now is ask Marco will come on up, want to pray with and for him, and then just get off the platform and open my heart and my expectation <laughs> to Christ alone. Shall we pray? Dearest Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for our brother. I want to thank you for his love for Christ. I want to thank you that you have trained his mind, that he handles the Word of God with reverence. He handles the Word of God for God's people. Ask now that the words of Marco will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, that the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to your sight. O Yahweh, our rock and our Redeemer. We're ready now, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes. All right, brother. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you for that introduction, Pastor Dan, and thank you for the sweat towel, bro. I need it. Thank you so much for that. Good morning. Though may trials come, the word still endures. Amen. Man, my name is Marco Rankin, and I'm an elder pastor at Greenville Grace Church. I pray that Garrison is getting some much-needed rest. And that when he comes back refreshed, he's ready to dive into another 10 to 20 years of ministry. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm here with my wife, Lisa, and I have four beautiful kids, Rosina, Naomi, Marco, and Annika. Um, we live in Richmond, Indiana, about 40 miles away from this place. We're looking to, to plant a church in Richmond. We don't have a timeline, so we're just enjoying what we're doing at Grace Church in Greenville, Ohio. Any of you have any family in Greenville, Ohio? Okay, I see, okay. Greenville in the house. That's awesome. Well, it's great to be here with you all, and I know that I don't know any of you, but look, we are family because we are united as one in Christ. Amen? Amen. So please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 135, Verses 1 through 21. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of some introduction. The psalm celebrates the, the 
the greatness and goodness of the Lord, as well as his sovereignty over everything that he's made. So this psalm would have been an encouragement to the Jews to trust in the Lord, especially after being ruled in foreign nations and being in exile in other places where they served other, other gods. So despite their struggles, the, the psalmist is attempting to do one thing with this psalm. He is desiring to inspire hope. Exactly how to inspire hope? By reminding them of his mighty works, right? Right? Israel's redemption from Egypt, their protection on the way from Egypt to the promised land, Canaan, their inheritance. So the whole point is that after recalling all the Lord has done, from that point all the way throughout history, in the midst of their trials, they can praise the Lord. That's our duty as believers to praise and worship our holy God. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Psalm 135, verses 1 through 21. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. Who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. Who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless 
the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his words. Amen. You may be seated, please. Father God, we thank you for teaching us and showing us who you are in Psalm 135. When we hear your words, I pray our lives will change, our eyes will be opened, and our hearts would melt. Lord, make us see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done on the cross to secure our salvation as we pour over these texts. Lord, give me accuracy to the text. Take me out of the way completely, Lord, and let it be by your Holy Spirit that speaks to your people. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Have you ever been in a season where you felt like you were just on the struggle bus? There's, there's almost no joy in your life. You turn to the scriptures to, to, to be inspired, but when you, when you get there, you just walk away feeling discouraged. Do you ever have days uh, when, when life seems like a huge battle and no matter what, you're finding yourself less and less having any victories? And when you pray to hear from God, you don't hear anything. He, he's silent. It's in those moments where we learn a lot about ourselves, don't we? When things get crazy, when your life gets crazy, where do you turn? What do you trust? What do you treasure most? When you're hurting, where do you go for comfort? What or who is your priority? Our hearts will be revealed by the answer to that question. Do we worship the one true God or do we turn to worship idols? E even though we don't worship wooden statues much anymore, we do worship something, right? And I believe that if you dig deep into your heart, deep into your heart, you will discover that there are some covert, hidden idols stuck in your heart somewhere. Because as sinners, that's what we do, right? When the going gets tough, right, we, 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 we want what we want, we crave what we crave, we enjoy things more than God, and, and we tend to praise and worship the things that bring us immediate gratification, when you're struggling with life and are tempted to find comfort in something other than God, do this. Number one, remember how good the Lord is. And then number two, when you remember and when you recall all his goodness and all he's done for you, praise him. 
praise him. The name of God alone is worthy of praise that we see in verse 1. There are 10,000 good reasons why we should praise God. I'm not going to bore you with 10,000 of them, I promise you. But we're just going to go over a few. First off, the name of the Lord alone is worthy of praise. Now, when I was chewing on these verses, I had to ask myself, why in the world would the psalmist have to tell somebody three times to praise the Lord? But first, I needed to understand, who is he talking to? The psalmist tells those who serve the Lord, those who stand in the house of the Lord, to praise. Now, I don't understand why those who serve the Lord need to be reminded three different times to praise him. Wouldn't that be an automatic response by God's people? So my mind wondered around for all types of reasons why God's servants would refuse to praise him, those who stand in his house. Maybe it's laziness. Perhaps the servants of God are just too tired. They, they've poured and spent their life and all the things and other things, and then when they get in the house of the Lord, they don't have enough energy or time to praise God. Maybe it's a head versus heart thing. We hear the word, we think about God's word in our heads, but that's kind of where it stays. Our hearts are never touched by God's word. It becomes just an intellectual thing where we're just going through the motions. Whenever those dry seasons come up on us, family, we got to seek God's face in prayer. Moses sought God's face in the book of Exodus. He asked the Lord to show him his glory, and the Lord agreed, but he had one stipulation. Moses couldn't see his face, but only his back. So that's what Yahweh did. He, he passed by Moses, and then he told him his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The name of God is characterized by those five attributes. So let's take a careful look at them because I want you to know why God's name alone deserves your praise. Yahweh is a compassionate God. This means he cares about you and wants to show you his mercy and be tender towards you. Secondly, he's gracious. He, he does things for you that you don't deserve. Even when you're not worthy, he, he lavishes his, his love and favor on you because he's kind. Yahweh is slow to anger. He has every right to strike you down in his righteous anger against your sin, but he's patient with us. He waits for us to come to know the truth, and he waits right there with us. Fourth, God is steadfast in his love. 
for those in covenant relationship with him. His faithfulness to his promises is unwavering despite our many inconsistencies. Finally, Yahweh is abounding in truth. The ESV version says he's faithful. If God's word uh, it's God's word that should govern our lives. It's reliable. It's inerrant. And after God finished telling Moses all that his name meant, Moses did what? He bowed down and praised God. In that moment of sweet intimacy that Moses had with his God, Moses' heart swelled with love. Moses was so moved by the Lord that he bowed down in praise and worship. In our worship and praise of God, it's easy for us to get into dry seasons. You ever feel like that? You know, when you come to church and you force yourself to serve, but your heart isn't really there. You'll still serve, you'll still sing, you'll do your daily devotionals, but you're just going through the motions, right? But thankfully, God offers some solutions to our spiritual dryness, and it's simple. Look at him. Behold him. Check out his beauty as Moses did when he looked at his glory and when these dry seasons come up on you, don't run from God, but draw closer to him and he will draw near to you. And when you do that, you'll see that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love and faithful to you. If we understand his name, in his character. Praising him won't be, it won't be like a chore. That's like something that must be done. You'll find joy in it. Our second reason for praising God is that he dwells in us as his temple. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? God's holy Temple, that's, that's how God sees us. We're God's temple made to, to, to hold his spirit. It doesn't matter how, how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter if you're up one, day, up one day, down one day. Through Christ, God took up residence inside your body, and now you are his holy temple. Amen. Glory, somebody. However, things weren't always that way before Christ's burial, death, and resurrection. So God commands his servants in verse 2 to praise him. Who are his servants? Those who stand in the house and in his courts. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of standing in the courts is Queen Elizabeth's royal court. And their primary role was to honor and praise her. Her royal court was made up of members of her household. They were 
English nobility, there were musicians, there were actors, painters, singers, and so on. And they stand in her palace and wait for her to come into the room. And when she came into the room with pomp and circumstance, they praise her and make much of her. You see, back then the power um, came from the top down. God chose Elizabeth, they believed. Elizabeth made all the rules and then communicated those rules to the court. So then it was the court's responsibility as ambassadors of the queen to spread those rules out to the people of England. In the same way, we serve a king. Together we stand in his courts praising his name. That's what we're supposed to do as servants. It's a privilege to serve the king. When you're saved, you're an ambassador. When you're saved, you're an ambassador of the king. That's why we come into his house with praise. Then when we come fueled by the, by the word, we're sent out among the people as ambassadors, representing the power and authority of our God. The third reason to praise God is that he's good. God is so good. In verse 3, the psalmist gives us a reason to praise God. He's good. Goodness is who he is. He couldn't cease to be good even if he tried. God is good in all things, in all ways. The wisdom he has is good. The knowledge he has is good. He makes good judgments. The power he has is good. All his works are good. After creating the universe and all the steps it took to do it, God said, it's good. Even our salvation is part of God's goodness. The thoughts that God has for you are good. He drew us in faith in Jesus because he is good. And when we praise God for his goodness, it is pleasant. There's an experience. Verse 3 says it's pleasant. The experience that we get when we praise a holy God is pleasing to us when we are singing praises with our whole hearts. Praise is like incense being burned on the altar. It's sweet, it's savory, and its fragrance fills the air, affecting everybody in its path. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. There are times, and I know there are times with you, where I'm just not in the mood to praise. Like when I get in an argument with my wife, or the kids made me late to church. I don't want to praise. Somebody give me an amen on that. <laughs> amen. There's, there's sometimes I get in the mood where I just don't want to praise. I just want to pout, and I want to be mad about it too. However, when you, my brothers and sisters, start to praise, 
and start to sing, something begins to happen to me. When I hear you sing songs and spiritual songs, and when I hear the sweet harmonies that fill the air, my heart begins to unravel. And then I begin to contemplate myself, the goodness of God. And then suddenly the walls of anger that I've built up around me begin to tumble down. And then I, I find myself giving in because praise is so pleasant and pleasing to me and infectious. The fourth reason to praise God is that he's gracious. He shows mercy and favor upon you, those who do not deserve it. Check this out. In verse 4, Jacob and Israel are used as examples of God's goodness and grace. See, our minds tend to go to this. Whenever we see specific names in the Bible, we tend to believe that God put them there because they were what? They were holy and they were righteous and they kept all God's rules. But it's quite the opposite. For instance, the nation of Israel, it was God who got them um, out of slavery and into the promised land. They're, they were supposed to march there in, in, in victory and in triumph. However, along the way, God exposed the truth of their hearts. They grumbled and complained and murmured and made a, a calf out of gold and started to worship it. And that angered God to the point where he wanted to destroy everybody. But guess what? He couldn't deny his name. He couldn't deny his good nature. Despite their many transgressions, he looked after them anyways and provided for their needs. God is a gracious God. Let's take Jacob. Jacob is my favorite example of God's grace. Jacob was a swindler. He, he cheated his older brother out of his birthright. He, he was always trying to get things for himself. He even posed as his older brother to get the blessing from his, from his father who was blind and on his deathbed. But guess what? God, in his grace and mercy, chose Jacob to be the recipient of his grace. Family, Jacob shows you that grace doesn't come to you because you deserve it, because you've worked for it, because you've done something awesome to get it, but because your God is awesome and he's good and he's faithful to keep his promises. Maybe some of you here today, you're broken, you're hopeless, you're discouraged about your situation. You think you've done too much evil in this world to be forgiven? You, your sins are beyond God's forgiveness? Why, why would God pick me? 
The good news, family, it's not about you. It was never about you, but it's all about his son, Jesus. And all you have to do is receive God's irresistible grace by faith. Isn't that awesome news? Isn't that great news? Well, you might be thinking, man, that sounds too easy. There's got to be something I got to do. Yeah, there is something you got to do. Get your notepad, I'll tell you. Run to the Savior with open arms and open hands. Receive his grace with the posture of thanksgiving and praise on your lips. Gratitude, knowing you don't deserve it. That's all you need to do. The psalmist moves from talking about the Lord's goodness to his greatness in verse 5, which is the fifth reason we should praise the Lord. We should praise him for his greatness as creator. God is sovereign over nature. Israel was on the move from Egypt, but they reached the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changed his mind and mobilized his army and began to chase after God's, arm, uh, God's people. And seeing the Egyptian army coming their way, the Israelites begin, began to panic. And so the Lord, in his sovereign power over everything he owns, opened up the Red Sea. When all the Israelites passed through safely, um, and they were safe on the other side, God then dropped the sea of waters over Pharaoh's army, killing all of them. Everything is under God's control. It's the Lord who makes the clouds rise. It's his laws that govern how clouds and thunderstorms form. These processes are governed by him and the rules are written by him. He tells the lightning, he tells the rain uh, where to go. They are all under his command, waiting like soldiers and willing to do what he says. And the Lord is like, a homeowner, he, he, he has a storage, a, a pantry, where he keeps all these resources ready to use whenever he needs them. So God calls us to praise because of his goodness. He then exhorts us to praise him for his greatness. And verses 8 through 14 calls us to praise him for his redeeming grace. That's the sixth reason. God is a redeemer. Throughout these verses, the psalmist shows us that how the Lord has worked to save his people despite the many barriers that existed in their way. God wanted a people for himself, so he looked towards the Israelites. And it wasn't because they were upright citizens. It's not because they were awesome, great people. But God decides what he wants to do 
and who he wants to choose. Egypt had already suffered nine plagues that destroyed their economy, it destroyed their food and their crops. It was a mess. But Pharaoh still persisted in his sin. Even though Pharaoh could visibly see that that many of his people were suffering, he still refused to let the people go. So God would enact the final solution. It was the one that would, would, would finally convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Every firstborn child would die. Even the king's eldest son would be killed. From Pharaoh's heir all the way to the cattle firstborn, they all died, but nothing would happen to the children of Israel. You see, the Israelites weren't any less sinful than the Egyptians. They even worshipped some of the other gods. They were disobedient to the Lord, but the difference was they were chosen by God. God is a covenant-keeping, redeeming God who doesn't go back on his promises. In verse 10 through 11, the psalmist skips over the wilderness experience and talks about their journey to Canaan. Israel was going to inherit this land uh, from God, but it wouldn't be easy. There would be a lot of obstacles in their way. But before they could get to this inherited land, the psalmist mentions two obstacles. The Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. I don't know if it's OG or Og. We'll say OG. That sounds better. Israel did their best to pass through peacefully, but but the kings of, of, um, the Amorite kings wanted a little bit of beef. So they attacked the Israelites. And with God's sovereign power and help, the Israelites utterly destroyed and decimated their armies and occupied their lands. Having wandered in the desert for for a generation, the Lord had finally put the people back on track and nothing could stop them because God was at the helm. Yes, Israel had to fight. There's no doubt about that. But God would make sure they got to Canaan in victory. The seventh reason we should praise God is that he's immutable. That means he he never changes. It's not possible for him to change because that would mean something was wrong and he's perfect Upon recalling all the things the Lord had done in verses 4 through 12, the psalmist breaks into praise and worship in verses 13 through 14. He says in verse 13, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. God's promises don't change, shift or shake, brothers and sisters. He won't break any of the promises that he's made. 
everything that he did thousands of years ago still applies today. God told Abraham thousands of years ago that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Man, that's you. You were part of the plan all along when this was happening. He, he's the great I am, not a yesterday God who only works in the past, but he's an ever-present God, and he's working in your midst right now, faithful to finish what he has started in you. And I know it's hard. There are times when, when life stinks and I want to stay in the bed all day. Even though we're saved, we still struggle with sin. Despite our best efforts, our kids tend to want to gravitate to the world. No matter who we vote for or what laws we put into place, nothing seems to help. But family, we got to rest. We got to rest knowing God has the sovereign power to fix all of this. He can fix all of this. But if he doesn't do it now, I'm still going to rest in the assurance that, that when the end of the age comes, when Jesus comes back, he's going to set everything right. Continuing where we left off in verse 5, the psalmist explains why the Lord is better than the gods of the nations in verses 15 through 18. Idols, where do they come from? Idols are made by our imaginations. You see, in a microwave society where the food's ready in two minutes, we desire and chase after instant gratification. So we worship what we can see, we worship what we can taste, touch, measure, and sometimes control. But, but their ability are inadequate compared to Yahweh. They don't do, they can't do anything for us. And worshiping them does nothing but get in the way of true worship of Yahweh. So we're called to recognize the idols in our hearts and to recognize their inadequacies. Charles Spurgeon wrote about a missionary um, named John Thomas who went to, to a temple in India. And there were a lot of people waiting outside to go into this temple. And when the doors opened, the people flooded the temple to go in. And in front of them stood an idol. So Thomas, I don't know how smart Thomas was, but he walked up to it and, and raised his hands and, and everybody kind of quieted down. He, and he touched the idol's eyes and he said, it has eyes, but it can't see. Then he touched its ears and said, it has ears, but it can't hear. It has a nose, but it can't smell. There are hands on it, but it can't hold anything. It's got a mouth, but it can't talk, and there's no breath in it either. Now, Thomas's boldness could have really cost him his life that day because people were getting ready to bum rush him and put a beating down on him. But, but an old Brahmin, convicted by those words, cried out, 
It has feet, but it cannot run away. Therefore, a shame-filled crowd left the temple realizing that this idol they'd been worshiping for years was inadequate and unable to meet their needs. While the Lord has performed signs and wonders in nature and in history, as we saw before, the idols can't do anything, right? They look alive, they have mouths, eyes, and ears, but they can't speak, see, or hear. There, there's no reality to them, so they can't understand you or meet your human needs as Yah, Yahweh can. There's, they're not helpful at all, and they're unworthy of your praise. And there's a danger in worshiping them. According to verse 18, those who trust in them become like them. So the call is, in verse 18, is to recognize that it's dangerous. When my kids were little, maybe around two or three years old, I noticed how much they imitated my wife and me. They cooked and fed and disciplined their, their stuffed animals just the way we did. When we passed out medicine, they passed out the medicine to their stuffed animals just like we did. The same way we prayed with them, they also prayed with their stuffed animals. The same way we talked on the phone, they talked on their, their play phone. I'm sure we, you have tons of stories about your kids doing the same thing. Children imitate their parents. And the trend continues even into adulthood. Even adults imitate what they're around. We mimic what's going on in our culture and in our society. Whatever our friends in, are into, we want to be into it too. There's a principle to this. What we revere, we become like. What we revere, we become like. Modern or ancient idolatry is a useless search for anyone or anything else than God. Let me say that again. Modern or ancient idolatry is a useless search for anyone or anything other than God. When things go well, who do you think? When things go bad, who do you turn to? Who or what is your source of security? Where do you get your sense of worth? What's your life goal and why? It's the answers to these questions that will reveal to you your heart and if you're honoring God or if you're, or if you're worshiping idols. Whether that means you're, you're praying to a statue or, or drooling over your neighbor's car or, or grabbing the latest get-rich-book scheme, putting your trust and uh, faith in anything other than the creator is idolatry. And the danger is, like wood, rock, or stone, we become lifeless to God, unable to hear his call not able to understand his word, unable to comprehend his will for our life. 
the last three verses call ministers and everyone who reveres God to worship him. Among them are the whole nation of Israel as seen in verse 19a, the house of Aaron and Levi, which are the priests, ministers of the temple, as seen in verses 19b and 20a, and all who fear him, referring to all believers. Family, worship of the Lord involves the whole community. Worshiping God isn't just about the pastors and the elders and the musicians fulfilling their professional duties. All of us should worship God for his grace and how he has brought us into the unity and fellowship with him and Christ. Praise and worship aren't spectator sports. They're, they're not for public um, relations. It's not for recreation. It's not about boosting attendance. But we have a duty. And our duty is to praise a holy God for all that he has done. So I'd like for you to do something for me. In the morning, when you go out to your porch or to your quiet place or to a private room, you take your Bible, you got your coffee, you do your devotionals. I want you to do this. Remember and recall. Remember and recall all the wonderful things God has done for you. Do an inventory. Go through it. Write it down. All the ways your bills were paid on time when, when you were struggling. When the refrigerator was empty, somehow there were, was food in there. Kids acting crazy, somehow God set things right. All the things God has done for you, take an inventory of it. And take the time to remember and recall. The way he saved you, where you when you were in trouble. The ways he talked to you in his word. The way he hears your prayers when you call him. How God has redeemed you from sin and has given you an inheritance. And as you remember and recall all the wonderful things that he has done, this is the last thing I want you to do. Praise him. Praise and worship his name, for he is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being merciful and gracious to us. We thank you and acknowledge that you are the one true God, the one true God who rules and reigns over heaven and earth and in our hearts. Lord, it's because of your goodness, your greatness, your name, and who you are that we can lift our hands up in praise and in worship because you are a, a holy God, Lord, and you have chosen us as your treasured possession in Jesus. 
Lord, throughout history, you've proven that you are a Lord who saves, you are a Lord who redeems and restores, and you are a Lord who delivers. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry, Lord, for anything that comes our way because you are in our midst doing the same thing with us as you did with the children of Israel all those thousands of years ago. And it's because of that we can rest and trust in only you, the one true God. It's in the matchless name of Jesus I pray. Amen.